Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Pedrosian throws to Sandberg and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first, it's over! 27 years of waiting have pumped on in. The Giants have won the pennant. All right, we are back on Thompson to Clark. And thankfully for this week, because... Not a whole lot of news, though we will have a news segment. But thankfully, we have the Willie Mays documentary to talk about. Wow, what a a great documentary. Nelson George, who I mostly know through music, through like uh, music journalism, uh, a little bit of hip-hop culture journalism. He's a little bit older uh, guy. Probably, I don't know. I he, I think he wrote a book on Michael Jackson in like 1983. Like that's how far he goes oh, wow. with his journalism. So, but uh, yeah, like kind of unexpected to to see him do something like this. But uh, really, really fun stuff. So you know, why don't we just kick off talking about it? Because you and I both yeah. watched it. We, uh, you know, we made sure that, that that we watched it so that we could review it for this show. So. What what did you think? Oh, I guess overall, uh, our first thoughts. Just overall, you know, you watch documentaries here and there, so you know, you know what's quality versus like what's Netflix, like <laughs> Netflix, uh, un, uh, you know, not not a ton. So some of those Netflix documentaries, they don't like have a ton of source material that they're using. No, they're just pictures, <laughs> a lot of pictures, and then yeah. just somebody just sitting there talking and and you get bored out of your mind this was fantastic i didn't know what to think about going into because like i hadn't heard of the director yeah um so i was like hmm but you know knowing that uh uh shay was attached to john shay uh we knew we were going to hear from barry bonds we knew we were going to hear from john miller you know who was executive producer that i did not know LeBron, LeBron James and Matt yeah. Carter. I had no idea they were affiliated with this. That was yeah, really they were cool. affiliated, and, and same with Colin Hanks too. Tom Hanks' son, yes. who's a yes. big Giants fan. Yes. Um, and then my favorite was Tito Fuentes. Oh yeah, and Orlando Cepeda. When those guys start talking to and, and and bringing up old memories and everything, uh, so yeah, I had no idea what to expect going into it. Uh, within the first five minutes, I knew okay, we got we got something good here. Um, I watched, uh, yeah, I do. I would I watch a lot of music documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't delve too much into sports documentaries. I used to. Uh, I don't so much anymore because I think the problem is there are so many of them, and I don't want to watch one and then get two hours and you're done and go, that was a huge waste of time. (laughs) So I think I, you know, I think I kind of have to like pick and choose, but I knew, you know, Willie Mays, yes, I'm going to watch it. Um, But I thought it was great as a, as a fan of the giants, you and I longtime giants fans um, never being able to have seen Willie Mays play either on TV or live or even hear him play on the radio. uh, This was awesome. 
a lot of the footage that was used um, really surprised me. It was stuff I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I just, I fell in love with it and, and I wanted it after an hour and 40 minutes. I, I, I was like, man, I, I want more. Yeah. I want a part two. <laughs> I want, I want the raw footage because even that little outro clip that they played where Willie Mays is kind of busting their chops and oh, yeah. having a good time with throwing him. around F bombs, <laughs> throwing around F bombs and hard handshakes and talking about arm wrestling. Give me all of that. Give me yeah. all, give me all the B roll, uh, outtake interview footage. Um, but yeah, I kind of put, it kind of put me there, uh, as a fan, uh, the last, I told you the last 30 minutes, you hadn't seen the last 30 minutes, 40 minutes yet. I said that last 30 minutes is very emotional. Barry oh, yeah. Bonds, uh, tears oh, yeah. in his eyes, talking about his godfather, uh, talking about the home run chase and everything else that he went through. Uh, and, and there was a lot of emotion because you and I, we went through that part of it. We yeah. went through watching Barry and Willie uh, kind of come together in those last couple of years, uh, chase down that home run record. Um, I was just, it was a lot. I mean, it was a lot to take in. I'm definitely, definitely going to be watching it again. Um, I watched the, uh, just to put in, in reference here, I watched the Beatles documentary last year when it came out in November. Um, and that was eight plus hours. Oh yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll probably watch that again at some point, but the Willie Mays documentary, absolutely. I will definitely be watching that again. So the, documentary uh kind of the the way that nelson did it nelson george is he had some sit down stuff with willie now willie how old is willie at this point uh he's 91 i believe 91 now and you know you would think that he uh may have you know lost some sharpness he he may speak a little slower but the the mind is absolutely 100% there the wit the biting wit, uh, it's it's all there, and so yeah. you have little little clips of Willie talking to to Nelson George, the director, and then then they go and tell that part of the story, and so it's really well done. It's kind of similar to to John Shea's book in that way. I, I'm just really early in, in the Shea book, but it's 24 chapters, 24 stories essentially. And there's a little bit of back and forth with Willie to kind of help tell that story. So uh, love seeing his perspective. And, you know, the thing about Willie for us, for, for guys our age is when we were born, it was right after Willie retired. So we didn't get to see him play, but we got to hear about him. And like for my, you know, my dad's favorite player of all time was Willie Mays. So all I did was hear about Willie Mays growing up. And it was like, oh man, you know, when am I going to get my own Willie Mays? Cause nobody really, <laughs> you know, and then we get bonds, right. Uh, but, but nobody really yeah. matches up to the legend. And you know, the way that Mays was spoken about in my household was like, he was like a superhero. He's like this heroic figure. Right. Yeah. And you know, the best baseball player ever. And then I would kind of look at stats and go, I need to test this out. Is really is Willie really the best baseball player ever? And you see the 660 home runs. He was uh, at, at when when we were born or when we were watching baseball. He was third behind only Aaron and, and Babe Ruth. He's is he now fifth? Uh, yeah, I Sixth? believe so. Well, who, who's <clears throat> ahead of him? So it's it's Bonds, it's uh, Aaron. It's Babe mm-hmm. and Pujols. Pujols. Where's A-Rod in this list? A-Rod is next. Okay. Uh, Pujols, 703. A-Rod, 696. Willie Mays, 660. And then uh, The Kid at 630. Wow. Griffey's, yeah. Griffey's closer than I even remembered. So, yeah. you know, that, but you saw how hard it was for me. Like, I, I thought about it and I figured it out. But when we were growing up, it was very... It was Aaron Ruth Mays, like mm-hmm. like the back of our hand, right? And so yep. that's you know that's how numbers used to work when when we were growing up. Is we just knew them all. We knew all of the numbers. We knew DiMaggio's uh, um, hit streak. You know, we knew the Pete Rose number. We knew Cal Ripken's number. All that stuff because the numbers mattered so much. Nowadays they don't matter as much. But there's also a lot more history in, in baseball to, to remember. So 
that that was that part of it. The legend of Willie Mays, I thought, was, was really good. And then you you know you remember that he lost how many years to the war. And I know Ted Williams was very similar. Like you know, if Ted Williams didn't lose so much time to the war, his numbers are, are probably right there with Aaron, Ruth, and, and Mays at that point. But seeing Willie in his prime as the guy. The uh, I, f- I totally forgot about that New York Giants and New York Yankees World Series that the Giants yeah. lost. I completely forgot that that even happened. Uh, and then the the Vic Wirtz and and against the Indians when they weren't they weren't favored, and then they they win that one. So you know that's really his his title right there, and and comes yeah. to San Francisco and, d- and doesn't get one. But uh, that part of the story was great. Now the part of the story that I. I wasn't sure if I wasn't expecting it or I just didn't know enough about this part of Willie was the piece about the civil rights and how Willie was less outspoken than people who came after him. And because of his fame, that frustrated some people because they thought, you know, you could really help us advance. But Willie was taught that he just kind of had to let his game speak and he didn't feel comfortable with the political stuff. And plus, you know, the the he was so famous and, and he was the richest baseball player out there. And so his life is working and he doesn't feel like he's knowledgeable or whatever about everything else. And, and, and some people thought that meant to be, well, he just doesn't care. And so that was right. a very interesting part of the documentary. We got to see. Tommy Smith and John Carlos, those statues, they showed San Jose State with yeah. those statues. So we are kind of, you know, in order, going to San Jose State, that's just kind of within us is, is the civil rights piece and understanding that history. But did yeah. you know that side of Willie uh, as they were telling the story? I did not at all. Uh, that that part kind of surprised me, too. But but, you know, watching it, I totally got it. I totally understand. I mean, everybody's different. That's not who he was. That's he, he even said it himself. That that's uh, that's what Martin Luther King does. Mm-hmm. He's an effective speaker. That is what he does. Uh, I, that's just not me. That's just not what I do. I'm just playing baseball. I'm just playing the game of baseball. And then you saw it in his retirement speech, which I had never seen before. Uh, I've shockingly had never seen his retirement speech before. That that was absolutely amazing at, at Shea Stadium. Uh, by the way, I was alive for uh, four months of Willie Mays' playing career. Just, <laughs> just, just, just everybody knows out there how old I am. <laughs> for for four months of his career, I was a, I was a little tiny child. Mm-hmm. Um but but seeing that and, and him just saying, you know, baseball is a part of my life and I am a part of baseball and it just it tore him apart to 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 retire and to have to walk away from the game. That was his concentration. That was who he, he called was. it a love affair, a love affair. I mean, that 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 was it. There was nothing else for him but playing the game of baseball, living, breathing baseball I, I mean, you know, I, I understand people can knock him because there was a lot of strife. I mean, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot going on at that time. Um, and and they wanted, you know, they wanted the outspoken athlete, the out, outspoken actor, uh, to, you know, to help, to um, help uh, put all of this on a platform. Um, but But again, that's the wrong guy. It's just... That's not who he was. Well, and, he's, I, and I he's didn't a, know all that. It was amazing. He's a little bit in between because who comes after him is Ali and Bill right. Russell and Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Those guys come after him. And who's right before him is Jackie Robinson. And Jackie Robinson, the way that the reason why he was chosen was because they said, look, you can't you can't screw this up because you're not just screwing it up for you. And so Jackie Robinson has to take all of this crap and, and just be like, you know, not not ruin this thing and 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 have, you know, this audience, who, which is probably I mean, I don't know what the Major League Baseball audience was in the early 50s, but, you know, at right. least the audience that they cared about, that they cared not to offend was a, a white audience. And you 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 had to. You had to be okay with those folks to be accepted and so that, you know, we could integrate. Um, 
But Willie comes a little bit after that, but he kind of has the same mentality. He was taught his coach, uh, his manager in, in the Negro leagues was like, you can't say anything, you know, you can't, you, you just got, you just have to put your head down and play ball and you got to take some stuff and, and you got to be able to deal with it. So he, that's the way that he was. And so it, they even showed later in, in Jackie's life as he retires that he is vocal about Mays not being more outspoken. And I, I, I don't know that you, we don't have the context, but my initial reaction was, well, yeah, well, he's still playing like you, you're not playing anymore. So, you know, right. that, that seemed a little unfair, but again, I don't understand the context. I'm sure there was way more context than we were told. And then you saw Barry sticking up for him, right? Barry kind of telling the reason and, and telling his story. Uh, I, I saw uh, Nelson, there was an interview, I think, and, and he described the, the father-son and the mentoring relationship with Willie and his manager uh, in the Negro Leagues kind of really... Because Willie's playing as a, as a as a high school kid with adults, right. and so just mentoring him, and then Willie having to mentor Bobby and some of the uh, other players. Now, what did you think? Now, this is because you said Tito Fuentes. I think this was really interesting. Mm-hmm. This is not a story that is told in Giants lore that Alvin Dark did not want the Latin ball players to be able to be themselves with the music and with their, their language. And I don't know if that means Alvin dark is a racist. They didn't really say it that way, but that was really interesting. That's not a story that we're told when it comes to the history of the San Francisco giants. No, not at all. And and it's funny you say that because I had heard, I think through, Oh, I don't know. Stories back in the day, books I had read, but Alvin dark was kind of a, he was a tough dude. Um, tough manager, a little hard to get along with sometimes. Um, I think I might've even been my grandmother who had said some, some choice <laughs> words about him back in the day. But I remember, um, thinking as I'm watching it, I go, Oh, there's Alvin dark. And then they start, you know, it's talking about Tito Fuentes and they're interviewing him. And I thought, I, I, you know, I thought in my head before that even came up, I wonder how Alvin dark dealt with all that change. Yeah. You know, it's all of a sudden he's not managing just white players anymore. He's managing black players, um, Latino players and white players. And I wonder how he handled it. And sure enough, about five minutes later, we found out how he handled it. And it wasn't very well. So I I thought that was pretty interesting too. Cause again, as I'm watching it, I I remember I've heard some things about Alvin dark, but I don't remember where, but uh, yeah, that was a little rough part of it. Nelson George was on a, a podcast with Larry Wilmer. I, I got only I got to listen to like 10 minutes of it. I just didn't have enough mm. time today because I wanted to listen to it. But Nelson George said he was a Yankees fan. And Larry Wilmer said, well, yeah, you know, the Yankees were all the white guys. And then the Giants were a lot of black players. And so Nelson George was explaining that how when he's a kid, He's rooting for the Yankees because that's his home team. But the cool teams were the Pirates mm-hmm. and the Giants because they had so many African-American players. And for the Giants, they had all the uh, Latin players. And that made them cool to, to Nelson George uh, in, in when he's growing up. I thought that was really, really interesting. It's not anything that I really thought of because, you know, we're not there. We didn't grow up during no. that time frame. <clears throat> But I thought that was pretty amazing. Like, you know, thinking of your team, this is kind of like, uh, you know, the the what was it? The um, the college basketball team who I think it was they were in Texas, who, who they they had the first black starting five in, in college basketball. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you see University of Michigan in the early 90s with the Fab Five and they start all black freshmen. And so like th- like those are like these pioneering teams. I never saw the Giants as that way, and that was really cool to hear. Yeah, and and it's funny, too, because in the documentary, too, they also mentioned that San Francisco at that time was not the progressive uh, that we know it today. Willie uh, Mayor Willie Brown was on there, too. That was it was really cool to see him. Yeah, that was awesome. And uh, 
by the way, I think he's got to be in the Transamerica building, right? The the pyramid building, because he was sitting in his office and I kept looking at the side <laughs> of the window and it was, it was like going at a really hard slope. And I go, he's got to be in the cool Transamerica. Uh, but, but, but what he was saying too is San Francisco at the time was not that progressive. So, and, and then Willie Mays, I mean, of course, we don't want to spoil the whole doc, but you know, the, the great part about, you know, have him trying to find a home in San Francisco. Yes. And he, you can't even imagine that nowadays. Uh, anybody can live anywhere in San Francisco. I think, gosh, I haven't been back to the Bay Area since 2006. So I don't know 100%, but I, I would assume in San Francisco, anybody it's time, man. anywhere. So it's time to get, it's time to get back. To visit. I, I know. I got to go to a game. I, I keep talking about it, but I got to go to a game. But, uh, but yeah, I, I thought that that was, that, that was, that was pretty amazing when, when they were talking about how, how Willie, when he first, when the Giants first moved there in '58, just having a hard time finding a home, uh, rocks thrown through their window. I mean, hell, uh, we we can't even imagine it because here we are. If Willie Mays moved next door to us, we'd be like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. Willie Mays lives next door. <laughs> what can I? Can I bring you something, man? Can I can I hang out with you? Can I yes. talk baseball? I mean, you know, so it's it's kind of foreign to us, but we're also we're also not racist. So there's <laughs> that too, but <laughs> um the 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 thing about how he bought the house and they wouldn't let him move in, right? Mm-hmm. Because it was uh homeowners and and they did not want an African American person to to own in their neighborhood and they were trying to move him to different part of the neighborhood and he's like nope i'm gonna live here this is the house i want this is where we're gonna stay and in order to do that then they had to take you know the 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 rocks thrown into the glass and all that stuff and they even talked about his first wife wanting to move back to new york because yeah in you know in in harlem he's like the guy, right? Like he's, yeah, they're, they're sending cars. Like they're taking care of him. <laughs> he's like, he's at the night spot, you know, hanging out, being cool. Willie Mays. They're like, Nope, you got to go. Cause you got a game tomorrow and there's going to be yeah. some trouble in, in a couple hours. So that we don't part want was fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big historian when it comes to like, you know, 1950s New York, because of course I'm a big Sinatra fan. Yeah. So 1950s New York and and the scene and how everything went down. I thought that was really cool, man. How the, the owner of the club, he would get a call and he would go down there at about nine o'clock and say, you got a game tomorrow, Willie. Got a car out back. Got a, And he didn't drink and didn't smoke. So it wasn't that big of a deal, but they just didn't want him out late because he probably knew the club owner probably knew you know, our, our bad seeds start to show up after nine o'clock. So yeah, exactly. you know, they didn't mention that part. Like the, the, the bad influencers are probably coming in late at night. So. You know, one thing they didn't cover, and this is a story that we heard when we were younger, is that at some point after he retired, he got like banned from baseball or something, or there was something where mm-hmm. he was suspended because I want to say he was involved like as a greeter at a casino or something. Oh wow! Th- I may have that story wrong, th- there, but there's there's been lots of stories like that where after the after career, right, when you're not making the money anymore, and yeah. then what do you do? And I, th- I seem to think that there he had he was there was something going on with him in baseball. But so they talk about the trade back to the Mets, and I don't know. If I I just never put two and two together. But we were talking about this when the Mets were in the playoffs, how the Mets are the the Giants, right? Because the Giants had, had left yeah. and the Dodgers put together like that's the, the New York Mets is those two teams that moved to California. And so when Willie comes to the New York Mets, Nelson George described it as like the biggest thing going on in New York. And this is at the end of his career, right? He's he's yeah. long past his prime. But still, because of the fame and because of where he got his start, just a giant story for him to come back to New York. And it it seemed like he that it, it meant a lot for him as well, because the reason the Giants trade him is because and now this is how John Miller explains it. And it's it may, it may be exactly like this, but this seemed a little sim- simplistic to me. But John Miller said, uh, I guess the A's came in 68 and the Giants were already struggling with the live attendance and that only hurt it more. So the owner Horace Stoneham 
needed to sell off a lot of the the vet pieces that were expensive and, and one of those was maize uh but just his acceptance or his welcoming back to new york gosh that was like a hero's welcome and the the crowd loved him they had this they were showing like a commercial or something where people were just so excited for him to come back but nelson george was like that was all on you know all on the radio all on tv like all in the newspapers it was all about maze 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 yeah and you know i didn't put two and two together too uh, speaking of because i had completely forgotten that the Mets had gone to the World Series in 73 and that, uh, you know, I, I didn't realize Willie Mays played in another World Series. Yeah. And it was in 1973 against the A's. Uh, so that was cool. So so the, the footage from that, too, is stuff I had never seen before. Uh, and, the, you know, the emotional talk about him uh, kind, of be, kind of being past his prime mm-hmm. and some outfield issues he had, but it was most likely the son. Reggie Jackson talking about that because Jackson played against Willie Mays and that Re- Reggie was excellent. Yeah, you don't you don't oh, normally you don't normally think of Reggie Jackson as like the like uh, now he was a great interview back in his prime like he because he was yeah, so yeah. outspoken, but yeah. you don't necessarily see him as like someone who's really good on this stuff because he's always sort of been known as being a little self centered and sort of about mm-hmm. him, but Kinda he's brash. In, he's in the Yankees Dodgers documentary on 30 for 30 on espn which oh, okay. i know you say you're not watching a ton i've I, yep. just like you i've only gotten through about 20 minutes of it because there's so much other stuff to watch but yep. he's good in that and then in this as well i thought reggie was excellent man yeah yeah he was he was uh he brought a lot of emotion to that last part of the again the last 30 minutes like i said it's just there's so much going on barry bonds reggie jackson uh, uh and Reggie Jackson part Reggie Jackson's part was great because like you said too, it was kind of out of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't see him like that often where he's compassionate towards another person. Um, and it, it, okay, we don't know Reggie Jackson. We don't hang out with him day in and day out. I'm sure he's a great compassionate person, but I, like I mean, said, I know people who know Reggie and they don't yeah. normally say that or who may be related <laughs> to Reggie and the times that yeah. I've talked about it, they didn't necessarily say that about him, but you know, oh, okay. as he's as he's gotten older, like maybe maybe so, right? Maybe yeah. maybe he has become a little bit more like that, or he just loves Willie. I yeah. mean, he just loves Willie Mays, and 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 I, watching this documentary, you find out there are so many people that just absolutely love Willie Mays. Yeah, and 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 then again, after watching it too, you completely understand why. So if you have not seen it. I think you could probably do like free previews for HBO Max. Um, here's here's something most people probably don't even know that they have. But if you have AT and T and you have AT and T Mobile um, service, you have a cell phone with AT and T, and you have uh, the I think it's like the unlimited package, you get HBO Max for free. Oh, so. Wow. Yeah, so look into that. Look at your bill. Check it out. If you have the unlimited, then you have HBO Max for free. You just tie your account. You go in, log in, and you've got it for free. Um, so that's how I'm able to watch most stuff on HBO Max. Uh, but yeah, I oh god, I highly recommend. If you're a Giants fan, do not miss it. Uh, because I'm a giant Bonds fan, even throughout all of the the chaos of you know the the mid two thousands and such. Barry, since he retired, to me, this is just to me, he has changed so much. Yeah. Outside of the game of baseball, the way that he speaks about people, the way that he speaks about people he loves, the way he speaks with the Giants, all of that stuff is so positive. And now people will still find their faults with him because, you know, he, he, has a, he's got a resume of, of some shady mm-hmm. things. And I totally get that. Uh, but they they tell the story of when uh, Larry Bear and Peter McGowan are now in charge of the team. Willie was not a part of the franchise since, I guess, since he retired. So that's like 16 years. Yeah. And they bring him back and they sign him to a lifetime contract. And he's actually their liaison to Bonds. And I kind of wonder if you if you if you give them a little bit of truth serum, like. 
What, what was really was bringing Willie back into the fold the number one priority, or was bringing Willie back into the fold knowing who his godson was? Was there a little bit of like, hey, you know, this probably that's makes a 50, sense? 50. Yeah, that that's probably a makes 50, some 50. sense on a, on a couple different <laughs> levels, but yeah, like awesome. And then, and then Barry comes in, he tells a story of how Willie wanted him to wear the number. And then how they did baseball didn't let him all that stuff. And then they get to the end of where, you know, Barry's breaking the records and stuff and um, how that means so much to him because of Willie and Barry's dad passing away, all that stuff. So yeah, the last 30 minutes is amazing. And then we get the great Chuck D song. Yeah. The amazing Willie Mays. Uh, really, really good. It's, it's a short song, like two and a half minutes, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pure Chuck. The it's pure hip hop. The instrumentals yeah. are amazing. Uh, yeah. This is great. It's not, the, it's not the greatest lyric writing no. in the world. No. But it's a tribute to Willie Mays. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's Like I said, the beats are cool, man. They sound like a, I sent you a clip of a 1970s, mid 70s Freddie Hubbard jazz trumpeter. Uh, he did a lot of uh, what was called at the time because he kind of started out. Freddie Hubbard started out as like a bebop jazz artist, but that time he was doing what was called like street jazz. Mm. Uh, so it was kind of a, almost like early hip hop uh, beats. Um, and and so I almost wonder. I got to look at the samples on that Chuck D song because it almost sounded like Freddie Hubbard. So I got to go in and check that part out. All right, but if you have not watched it, like Brad said, go figure it away. I mean, plus, you know, if you just sign up for HBO Max for a month, it's worth it just to just oh, to yeah. watch this thing. And then there's tons of stuff on HBO Max. But um, all right, let's uh, let's quickly uh, as a way to transition into the news, which is what we're going to talk about next. Let's just go to uh, what we are drinking here, and I'll yeah. let you go first because I, I I've been watching you sip on it, and it looks yeah. uh, it looks very nice. I, I'm sad. I told my wife before I went on the air, I said, I'm sad because look, look how. Oh, wow. I killed it. I killed it. It's my uh, wild turkey long branch. I had to look it up because my in-laws, uh, I, I had known it was at Costco uh, and, and I sent them a picture. I said, if you see this there, can you grab it for me? Mm-hmm. And it takes me a long time to drink a bottle of bourbon. Yeah, you've had this forever. October 22nd. 2021 okay so it took me just over Over a year year. yeah yeah but i i also have like four or five bottles of bourbon so you know i'll kind of mix it up but yeah so i killed it the last slugs left in that bottle um and my wife said can't you just buy more i said yeah but (laughs) it's the the principle of it it's gone (laughs) but it's tasty it's a very good one i highly recommend now do you generally drink it neat uh, this had an ice cube in it. Oh, okay. So, uh, so just yeah, just a tiny one. I, and and this only got me an ounce and a half. Usually I'll pour two ounces as like a double is what yeah, it's called. Yeah. It, it takes, again, it takes me like an hour to drink a double. Um, and I'll always put one ice cube in it. So I did in this one as well. Yeah. Be- so the reason I ask is because when you go to the website, the tagline is smoky and they spell smoky with without the e so it's s-m-o-k-y sort of like the difference between the whiskey with the e-y and the whiskey with the y whiskey sweet tasty neat (laughs) that's the tagline (laughs) well and and it is oak and texas mesquite charcoal refined so it's got an edge to it it definitely has an edge to it um but no, you know what? I I sometimes here's what I'll do. The first drink that I have out of a new bottle, especially if it's a very good bottle, like a forty dollar for me, a forty dollar bottle. Of yeah, sure, it's good. Um, usually, the first slug I have will be neat because I want mm. I want to try it out first and say, okay, this is what it is, neat. And then the next time I have it, I'll do one with an ice cube in it, and then I can kind of tell the difference between the two. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Uh, all right. So for me, it's just a repeat of something I had a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the diet ginger beer and the mules. And I was actually telling, I was actually asking Brad earlier today, I was saying, do you like any hot alcoholic or warm alcoholic beverages? Cause I went to the doctor and I got like some throat issue. I think it's mostly post COVID like that. I guess people technically have like a cough for, 
uh, a month or two after COVID. So I still have oh, a wow. little bit of that. But she was saying that, you know, some of it is also that I do a lot of podcasts. So probably when I was sick, I was probably doing all of my stuff still. <laughs> and it yeah. probably didn't help my throat. So she was telling me all these different things. And I, so I got some, you, you had talked about the throat coat tea. So I bought some of that. But then I was like, oh, maybe I'll have a, a warm drink. But then I was like, no, this is my, this is our one time to do the show. One time to have a, a beverage. I, I have to have it. You know, I have to have it the way that I, that I'm going to like it. So got the mule the the, there you go. Uh, and the, the ice cube and the bourbon. So it's a Kentucky mule with some ginger beer and a little bit of lemon. So rolling, we're oh, rolling. Geez. Ginger's got vitamin C, man. So yeah. I think you're, I think you're good to go. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't drink like I told you earlier. I just, I something about hot and alcohol. I've tried it a few times. I've put like a Irish coffee in my in my coffee before. I've put bourbon in my coffee. I've yeah. tried all of those. Not a fan, but I've been told uh, Irish coffees at, I guess there's a place in San Francisco that's famous for them. Oh yeah. I uh, think down, I've been there down by the pier. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've told, I have to check those out. So, yeah. so one of these days when I'm down there, I'll try one of those and maybe I'll be a convert, but if it, if it's the know. same place that you're talking about, it, it was very fun spot. I really enjoyed it. Let me it. see if I can, uh, San Francisco famous, uh, Irish coffee. And it is called Buena Vista. Yes, I think that's the one I went to. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So I've heard many good things. All right, let's move on and let's talk about a couple of uh, little news bits and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Uh, and uh, I think the first thing, Jock Peterson. So the Giants gave a qualifying offer to Carlos Rodon, and that is to when he leaves the team that signs him, uh, the Giants had the Giants get a pick, and do, the other does the team also lose like a pick if they sign somebody who's been signed to a qualifying offer or offered you a qualifying offer? Sorry, I'm not sure if they lose picks anymore. I think they're just comp picks. Okay, okay. Uh, so and that was part of the new thing because that was leaving free agents, uh, type A free agents, out there for so long, and I'm glad they got rid of that because uh, I, I just don't think that that should have been a rule. That was kind of that was kind of a mess because then you're not going to get the pirates are definitely not going to sign anybody. If you leave that rule. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we knew that Radon they were going to offer or extend him. Technically the language is extend him a qualifying offer. And, uh, and then they also extended Jock Peterson, a qualifying offer. So what does that mean? Basically, if Peterson signs his qualifying offer, he will make $19.65 million. And he is only projected for like a two for 20, a two for 24, depending on which uh, website you're looking at. And he can technically make that with just one year with the Giants and then go back into free agency next year. So it may be a smart play for him to just sign the one-year deal and to just make sure that, you know, just make sure he doesn't hurt himself and, and, and you know, ruin next year. Yeah. But so, so the question is really, why would the Giants be interested in this? Because uh, you would think, okay, well, why don't the Giants just, you know, give them the, the best offer at $12 million a year, whatever it is. It seems like because, and this is just, this is my guess specifically, because of the designated hitter and because a lot of these teams are, doing this lefty-righty stuff, if you have the defense, which is not the Giants, you can uh, put you can just put the guy as a, as a DH and have him face right-handed pitching. And as we know, he was fantastic at that last year for the Giants. So this may be a way for the Giants to go, okay, you know, we don't even want to get in the negotiation period. We don't want to lose the negotiation for this guy. So let's offer him the, the QO. And then, uh, and let's put it in his court. So, you know, it's it sounds like it would be very logical for him to sign that that qualifying offer and just to come back for one more year. Uh, if he was a guy who was probably in the fifteen million dollar, sixteen million dollar range, 
he probably would forego that and, and sign a multi-year deal, but it seems like he's more in that 10 to 12. So it does make sense to just sign for 20, right? Yeah, I think so. And and when you look at it this way, so let's just say 20 million, let's round up 20 million, 6 million last year, the giants, let's say he picks up. And, and again, the deadline is tomorrow, uh, Tuesday. So by the time people are listening to this, probably it, it might've already happened. So you're looking at 26 million, and if he picks it up, the Giants essentially signed Jock Peterson last year to a two-year, thirteen million dollars a year contract. That's pretty good for the output that they've gotten. Um, Eight ninety-four OPS versus righties. That's tenth uh, all left-handed batters in major leagues with two hundred and fifty more at bats. Let me know if you've heard of these guys who are ahead of him, and there's only nine ahead of him. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, Jose I'll Ramirez. I'll take him. Shohei Otani. I'll take him. Bryce, Bryce Harper, <laughs> <laughs> Rafael Devers, Juan Soto, Michael Harris, three. Rookie Freddie of the year, Freeman, Michael Harris. Michael Harris, rookie, rookie of the year, year today. Freddie Freeman and Jordan Alvarez. Those are the only guys who were who had a higher OPS against righties last year as a left-handed hitter. So... The 19 million kind of seems like a good deal, especially when you only had to pay him six million last year. So you, you haven't invested you haven't invested 20 million a year on this guy. It's just one year. It's a one year deal, and the Giants are flush with cash right now, especially because Rodone uh, did not exercise or exercise his option to get out. So that's a free 22 million right there that the Giants have. Um, they can still go out and get an Aaron Judge or offer an Aaron judge. Uh, they can still go out and get pitching. They can still go out and get even another outfielder because you can't have Jock Peterson play the outfield. Um, if they sign Jock Peterson and they get a couple of outfielders, you can absolutely stick Jock Peterson at DH and, yes. and find another right-handed batter that you can platoon at DH with him. Um, I, I think it's a good deal. I mean, just... Uh, and again, they they knew it. They knew it when they offered him the qualifying offer that he could take it and they could be out $19 million. But you're not really out $19 million with a guy with an OPS like that against right-handed hitters. Okay, so this is not a uh, 100% yes, this is a good deal for, for Giants fans because uh, I put this on our Facebook page. Okay. And Marwan, who is, uh, he, he will often comment on questions like this. He said he hates that they extended the QO to Jock. He said it's really irresponsible for him to be in the type of shape that, that he was in. No hustle, zero defensive ability, slow and out of shape. Don't care if he can hit homers. He's lazy and a huge liability in the field. And he didn't think that a lot of those home runs matter. Now, some of them were in spurts and stuff, so I can see how he says that. Mm -hmm. But he's very anti-jock. And the way that I look at it, and I, I, I get where he's coming from, but the way that I look at it is kind of how you said it, which is if the Giants come to this realization, which is, okay, maybe defense matters in baseball. <laughs> Because yeah, last year they maybe. were like, you know what? Defense doesn't matter as long as you can score more runs than the other team. So we're just going to forego right. this defense stuff. But they didn't <laughs> score as many runs as they thought they were going to score. And they didn't know that their pitchers were going to be so frustrated because Jock is, you know, diving for balls that a random left fielder would just catch on his feet. And so yeah. If they come to this realization that look, we need to we need to have better outfield defense, and they pick up guys who are, who are better defensive players, and you know Yastrzemski can can play the in right field, and he's really good in right field, and maybe Slater can can play some late innings in left, and we get a center fielder, and all those things get fixed, then you can just play him at DH, and you go, we're just paying this guy to hit right-handed pitching. That's yeah. it. And we're like you said, we're gonna get a right-handed hitter to face the left-handed pitching, and and Jock is just gonna be be the pinch hitter for the right-handed reliever in that in that moment. And I think he may not be worth the twenty million based on that opportunity, but he is probably a little bit more valuable to the Giants on that end 
and worth the extra five million. Because as we know, the Giants saved so much money last year by not yeah. paying in, not not paying for those big guys. So they have the money to spend. They've said that they had the money to spend. They said that they are willing to spend the money. I don't mind paying him extra five million dollars in this qualifying offer to to do that. So I, I'm okay with it, and it makes sense if that is the way they're going about it. If they say oh, yeah, we're going to play him in the field. Then I'm like, what are you doing? Because the second you play him on the field, he loses so much value. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm sure I would imagine there has been conversation that they said, we are going to extend you the qualifying offer. Uh, We're going to put it out there, but just know if you take this qualifying offer, there's a very good chance you probably will not be playing in the outfield. Yes. Unless it's an emergency situation. You know where he can play, and I'd Mm. be fine with it. If he's a once every two weeks first baseman, yeah, I think I'd be I, fine with that. I don't know if I've ever seen him play first base, um, but if he, I mean, it, in, in the major leagues, you can't really hide somebody there. Um, but if you're talking about uh, you've won six games in a row and you're going up against a right-handed hit, uh, pitcher, starting pitcher. Uh, and you really need him in the lineup. Uh, you want to extend the winning streak. You're, you're just you're cruising along. Yeah, put him at first base. Uh, you know you you've already won the series. You're playing the Pirates. You're up. You've won the first two games of the series. Put him at first base for a day game. Let's see how it goes. Um, yeah, a couple other things, Marwan. Listen up. Nine, 98th percentile in hard hit rate. 98th percentile in average exit velo. And no shift next year, so I'm okay. I'm okay with this. I, I definitely am okay with. I'm not okay with it if it is our big splash. Yes, <laughs> if, if it's our big splash, <laughs> I'm not okay with it. Face <laughs> of all the marketing, uh, this guy with the with with bad bad. Uh, uh, yeah. bleach job on his hair. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a different color next year. Though. Yeah, maybe. So, so let's not go too hard. And from the eye test, from what we saw last year, his base running, he, he, he seemed to be a smart base runner. I don't remember any base running gaffes. He understands his limitations as a base runner. Exactly. I don't, I didn't see any, uh, you know, heat coming off of the wheels as he was, you know, going from first to third. But I, I do remember smart base running. Uh, there wasn't anything crazy. Uh, so that part I can I can live with as well. Quickly want to shout out my buddy Richard uh, at R. I believe the way you pronounce his last name is Becerra, B-E-C-E-R-R-A, uh, 21 on, on Twitter. He, uh, he and I talk about uh, wrestling stuff every, every once in a while in, nice. in another Facebook group. But he was really into the Willie Mays documentary. So we we're kind of talking about it. Awesome. And then uh, he saw us talking about uh, our, our adult beverages. So he was, he was getting pretty excited. Uh, so shout out to <laughs> Cheers, th- th- Cheers th- Richard. Th- thanks for checking in. Okay. So quickly just, and we'll move on real quick, but I wanted to look up this qualifying offer thing. So you remember last year, they said if the, if the teams had come to, or the, if the players and the owners came to an agreement on the implementation of the international draft, the QO system goes away, but they did not. So the QO system uh, is in place uh, for the next, what, five years or, or whatever it is until the yeah, collective yeah. bargaining agreement is done. So I'll, I'll read this and it's, it's, there's, you know, the, the language isn't very conversationally friendly, but I'll, I'll get to this quickly. It's very okay. lawyer like. Yes. In the QO system, clubs wishing to receive compensatory draft picks for the loss of a free agent can make a one year qualifying offer worth the mean salary of the MLB's 125 highest paid players. That's where you get to the 19.65 to their impending free agents prior to the onset of free agency. If, and only if the players never received a QO before, so they couldn't do it to Brandon belt again, or, uh, or that player spent the entire season on that team's roster in season acquisitions are ineligible. So someone they may have traded for, they could not do that. So, Player can accept or decline, uh, and during during which time he can negotiate with other teams to survey his market value. If he accepts it, he's signed 
for the following year at that predetermined rate. If he rejects it, he is free to further explore the market. So compensation for losing players who reject their QO. So if Jock was to reject this and go elsewhere, if the team gives a qualifying offer to a player who then signs elsewhere, the club lost the club that lost the player is eligible for draft pick compensation. If the team that loses the free agent is a revenue sharing recipient based on its revenues and market size, then the selection, if and only if the player, the lost player signs for at least 50 million, will be awarded a pick between the first round and the competitive balance round A of the 2022 draft. If the player signs for less than 50 million, the compensation pick would come after the competitive balance round B. So oh, there's only 14 teams in that uh, revenue sharing uh, situation, and the Giants are not one of them. No, no. If the team that loses the player does not receive revenue sharing, it did not exceed the luxury tax threshold. So the Giants fit there. We know that they didn't come close to that tax. It's a compensatory pick that will come after the competitive balance round B. If the va- the value of the player's contract doesn't matter in this case, the Giants are one of those teams. If the team that loses the player went over the luxury tax, which is Dodgers, Mets, Padres, Phillies, Red Sox, and Yankees, um, the the pick will be after the fourth round. So Giants okay. don't fit there. So penalties for signing players who reject their QO. So if someone signs Jock and Jock says, "Nope, sorry, Giants, I can get a better deal elsewhere." They are subject to the loss of one or more draft picks. Okay. Uh, the team's highest first round pick is exempt. Uh, and three tiers of draft pick forfeiture based on the financial stats assigning team are in place to serve as a penalty for signing a player who rejected a qualifying offer. So a team that exceeded the luxury tax will lose a, its second and fifth highest selections in the following year's draft, as well as $1 million from their international bonus pool. If such a team signs multiple qualifying offer free agents, it will forfeit its third and sixth remaining highest picks as well. So those are only, again, the the Dodgers and the Mets, the Padres, Phillies, Red Sox, Yankees, Giants do not fit there. Uh, What would the, if the Giants signed a a player who rejected a qualifying offer, um, they would lose their third round pick, I believe. So something, something around there. But anyways, you get the picture. There is a there is a bonus for teams who 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 lose guys. So there's really you know they're going to lose Radon, and if Radon signs uh, uh, signs, uh, he's probably going to get a pretty good deal, right? You know, mm-hmm. if it's a multi year so. deal, uh, yeah. so the Giants should get a, a a nice pick for him. And same with Jock, but I think we think that Jock's going to accept his. So. There you go. I think so because I, I mean, yeah, he could like, like we talked about, he could get, you know, three-year deal somewhere else. It's going to be lower average um, than, than obviously the 19 million, um, but it'll be higher uh, total than 19 million. Um, it's just a matter of, did he like his time in San Francisco? Uh, did he like playing for Gabe Kapler? Um, does he think this team has a chance uh, to make the playoffs this coming season. Um, he, th- the only unfortunate thing for him is he can't wait past tomorrow to find out who they sign and, and how it all works out. So if he does, I, I wonder what happens if you decline it and then later on you sign with that team. Probably nothing happens, I would imagine. I mean, it's, it's still within the team, so... Um, I, I can't imagine anything would happen at that point, but I wonder if you can, do um, that. yeah, I, I'm sure you could, I'm sure there's no, uh, there's, there's no rule against you signing, you know, decline with the giants, but then sign with them three weeks later for a three-year deal. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I, I think I, I, think it would be a smart decision to take the qualifying offer, especially because he seemed to gel with the team last year. Um, there are still players that are there and, and Brandon Crawford, um, Yaz, uh, Joey Bart, uh, he, he still had the same pitching staff, most of the same pitching staff. So yeah, I, I, I could see him definitely taking the offer tomorrow. All right. So 
Evan Longoria posted on Twitter, not Twitter, Instagram. No, don't post on Twitter, Evan. It's it's, it's a dark place. Right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> uh, so he, uh, the Giants did not, um, did did not add him uh, to the team on his $13 million option. They declined it. Uh, so he'll get the $5 million buyout instead. And one thing that I forgot about this is the Rays were paying about $2 million of that 13 So, yeah, at least according to the uh, McCovey Chronicles article by uh, Brian Murphy. So it really would have been more like 11 So the Giants declined Evan Longoria for 11 and they're going to buy him out for 5 but it sounds like, you know, because we talked about this. Oh, you know, they could buy him off for five, then they can bring him back for five or whatever it is, right? That it's yeah. still under that 13 that he would have come back on. But he posted on Instagram, he said, Thank you, San Francisco, for an incredible five years. The relationships I've made with this storied franchise will last a lifetime. There's so many people to thank, and I hope all of them know. When I type this, I'm forever grateful for your dedication to me and this team. My family and I always appreciated the love and support this fan base showed every day and night. We will miss you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This sounds like he doesn't believe he's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one because I don't think you usually write something like that. And then two or three weeks later, he's like, psych. Sign, you guys. Yeah, sign back with the Giants. I mean, is is there a chance he's saying goodbye to baseball at that point? Hmm. Yeah, I don't uh, know. I mean, because usually you don't really close the door on a team unless management has said 100% we're not re-signing you. It's just not going to happen. Um, I mean, they, you know, Giants at third base have Wilmer Flores, J.D. Davis, uh, VR, Casey Schmidt was in AAA this year at the end of the season. Bring back Bill Miller out of retirement. There you go, Bill Miller. You've got uh, <laughs> Charlie Hayes. I mean, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> so, so I mean, the Giants are flush at third base right now. They and 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 he's is he the right-handed platoon with Jock Peterson? No, I think it's time to move on from yeah. some players. Yeah. Uh, from the last couple of seasons, Evan Longoria you know, is unfortunately one of them. I thought the same thing that you just said mm -hmm. right now, which is, well, maybe he's the right-handed platoon at the DH, but then I remembered that's what J.D. Davis is for. Yeah, right? exactly. That That's exactly what J.D. Davis is for. And Wilmer Flores, again, another right-handed. VR, uh, another right-hander. I mean, they have so many right-handed third basemen. There's just not the room for for a player like Evan Longoria at this point, um, which I understand. They've got to move on. They've got to move on at some point. And uh, he was a fantastic giant. 70 of his 331 home runs for his career are tied to the Giants, and they will be for the rest of his career. Does he go back to Tampa Bay? Maybe, uh, you know, like a one-year deal, just kind of close out his career right off into the sunset. Um I don't know. I, I mean, I'm talking. I'm talking about him like he's done, but he hit fairly well the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's just injuries. Yeah, he just can't shake the injury stuff, and maybe being no. a, a DH full time or half the time, you know, facing lefties less than half the time, maybe that yeah. will help him <clears throat> last a couple more years. And, and yeah. uh, Giants probably have that in in JD Davis if they and right. JD Davis. He's not great at third, but. At least he can he can play a little bit there here and there. I don't know. The Giants have the Giants have to sort of figure out how they want to deal with this defense thing because they're they have two years of just saying defense. What are you <laughs> yeah. talking about, defense? We'll throw our dogs out there and see what happens. <laughs> so before we get out of here, there were two uh, players that we kind of want to just mention here, and one of them, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing this right. Kodai Senga. He is uh, a right-handed pitcher uh, in the... Is he from the, the Nippon League? He is, yes. Yeah. Uh, Both the players we're going to talk about are. Yep. Okay, so he is... Uh, the, so the reason why his name came up is because somebody... I don't know who Mark DeLucci is. Do you know who Mark DeLucci is? Uh, I've heard the name. 
I, so I've he, heard the name quite a okay. few times over the years. Yeah. Managing editor of a, a fan nation site called Giants Insider. So he took a photo. Uh, he was passing by uh, uh, Oracle Park. And I always want to call it Pac Bell Park still. It hasn't been Pac Bell Park yeah. forever. But he he was passing by and he took a photo of the um the Tron, the 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 scoreboard in center field. And he said that it was illuminated with Kodai Senga in a Giants uniform with the number 41. It's been reported that they are interested in the free agent righty and seems like a visit is imminent. So much like has happened with uh, uh, Shohei um, and other players in that the, the Giants are often, uh, uh, you know, a, a pretty good place for, for these Japanese players to negotiate with. It seems like he's going to be uh, the, or they are on his list as well, which is great. He was yeah. 18th, ranked 18th in uh, Keith Law, his list of free agents. And... Uh, you know they do need a replacement for Rodon. I I don't I don't know if he will be that replacement, but he does have a uh, a pretty hard fastball. Um, he posted uh, in his career a twenty eight point two K rate and nine point three walk rate, which uh, the writer uh, on the McCovey Chronicles, Brian Murphy, you mentioned him already. He said is a comp to someone like uh, Charlie Morton. Uh, the pitch mix, he said, though, makes him a lot more like Alex Cobb. So that is pretty interesting. And uh, this is someone who who may be uh, on their radar, maybe in Giants news uh, over the, the rest of, of the hot stove period of, of, of the season right now. So someone to keep an eye on. I don't know too much yeah. about him. I do know that he struck out Buster Posey in a... Uh, world baseball classic game though <laughs> yeah exactly and anytime you strike out buster posey you definitely get uh you you get noted uh especially by giants fans um joel sherman from the new york post did did say you know it had some downside to him uh because of course the yankees are looking at him also a lot of a lot of teams are looking at him um he needs to improve his breaking ball in the major leagues uh he's also being kind of maybe pinpointed as a reliever, uh, seventh, eighth inning guy, maybe even a closer. Um, he, you know, in, in the Japanese leagues, they pitch every sixth day. Um, if he's a starter here, it's every fifth day. I don't think he's ever pitched more than about 180 innings uh, in his 10-year career, uh, more than 180 innings in one season in the Japanese leagues. Um I guess they have tackier baseballs, stickier baseballs Mm -hmm. in Japan. Uh, I know the United States is uh, the major league baseball is, is, is uh, experimenting with that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's going to be this year, but he also does train with you Darvish in the off season here in the United States. So he has thrown with that baseball. Um, So yeah, interesting to keep an eye on. I love that picture. I mean, the picture was fantastic on Twitter where you, you zoom in, you pinch zoom in, really close and you can see his name and his picture up on the big board, the big scoreboard at, uh, at Oracle. That was really cool. I thought, Oh, we got a little, we got a little scoop. That's kind of cool. And a few days ago, Grant Brisby wrote a free agent profile on another Japanese player named Masataka Yoshida. And he's an outfielder. Uh, and the the thing that stands out about him is that his walk to strikeout ratio uh, was the highest for the league last year, like by far, like he almost doubled everybody else in that. But then Grant also said, oh, guess who was uh, the the 2020 uh, who had the best best ratio? Oh, that is Tommy LaStella. So we know how that worked out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it didn't. No. <laughs> at all yeah that that would be a good one um we do need outfielders although we we the 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 rub on on yoshida is that his his uh fielding is not fantastic and we already have that right oh we we already have bad fielding. it just broke my heart i know so that's the one thing um he he would definitely be a dh uh his right-handed hitter uh we're kind of already in that market, I believe is a right-handed hitter, right? Uh, I got to look it up now. I, I don't want to get that wrong. Um, 
but uh you, you know they he, he has played dh mostly uh no actually he's a left-handed hitter yes um so there may not even be room with the giants in that situation um because he played mostly dh uh in the japanese leagues the last few years um but he does have some pretty good power and he's a 330 hitter uh a two to one walk to strikeout rate um and uh, that would be phenomenal. I know the Giants love to have guys who can get on base. And if you could hit 330 and you could walk and you've got a little bit of pop, 20 home runs a year um, over there, over here, does that translate? I don't know. Um, are the Giants willing to take a chance on a 28-year-old coming over? Um, they should. I mean, you know, maybe for a year or two. But but again, uh, guys who are coming over from from Japan – I'm sure they're not looking to sign a one-year deal or a yeah. two-year deal. Yeah. I mean, they're they're coming here to sign a five or six-year deal because they want to be here to stay and they want to be with one club. What did stay. what did Suzuki sign last year? Four year? Uh, I think it was a five. I think that's kind of what pushed it over the top. Is Chicago gave him a five-year deal? So, yeah. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, episode 125, by the way. Can you imagine? Wow. We, we've done 125 that. episodes of this show. Well, that's fitting. 25 bonds. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about a lot today. So, yeah. Pretty pretty amazing that we've been doing this for, for that long. So, uh, all right. So, uh, for Brad, I'm Double G. We'll see you next week. Peace out. Peace. <laughs>